Welcome to the University of Birmingham's Fantastic Research and Where to Find It series. Each episode will feature two experts discussing areas of their research that relate to subjects explored in the films based on the work of author J.K. Rowling. Today's episode will feature experts from the School of Geography, Earth and Environmental Sciences, and they will be discussing if there really are fantastic beasts. Hello, my name is Dr. Stefan Lautenschlager. I'm a lecturer for paleobiology here at the University of Birmingham and I'm a vertebrate paleontologist. That means I study vertebrate fossils which lived many, many years, millions of years ago. And today I'm here with my colleague. So hi, I'm Dr. Kirsty Edgar. I'm a lecturer in micropaleontology here in Birmingham. And unlike Stefan, I work on tiny organisms that you can only see with a microscope, but they have global implications. Yeah, my career path um, started very stereotypical. Um, as a six-year-old boy, I was very into dinosaurs, and then my career took a bit of a turn, and I got a proper job as a software engineer. And um, from that, I went back into paleontology, and now I'm combining my software engineering experience with my love for fossils. So my research involves mostly computational techniques, computer simulations, digital techniques. So I try to study how fossil vertebrates lived, behaved, how hard could a dinosaur bite, um, how fast could uh, a marine reptile swim. And so I'm using different computer simulations, different engineering techniques to find out what was possible and what wasn't possible for these animals. And based on that, we can then test hypotheses regarding the, the behavior and biology of these animals. <laughs> Mine was a, my intro to paleontology was a little bit different. As a child, I always loved picking up shells off the beach. I loved being outdoors. I didn't even know earth sciences existed. And then when I was a teenager, a series of uh, films came out, things like Jurassic Park, Twister, um, Volcano and Dante's Peak. And in all of these films, I've always loved science. It was scientists doing awesome things around the world and their jobs just looked amazing. Um, I took A-level geology, fell in love and I haven't looked back ever since. Um, so actually, I guess my background really shows that films can have a huge impact on where you end up for giving you ideas of what might be possible. And so things like Fantastic Beasts that's coming out, I will be first in line to see it. Yeah, so I hope that, like for me, that films like Fantastic Beasts that kind of expose people to a wider world can help inspire a sort of next generation of people that might be interested in life, looking at life, the outdoors and various things. As I mentioned earlier, I work on uh, microscopic organisms. They're single-celled. They live in the ocean and they're known as foraminifera and they produce these really elaborate shells that are preserved in the fossil record. And from those shells, we can look at the actual organism itself. So the whole, unlike a dinosaur or a vertebrate, you get the whole organism's body preserved. So that means you can do lots of really cool stuff in terms of thinking about how the organism lived, but also by analyzing the chemistry of their shell, we can figure out all kinds of information about the environment from which they, in which they grew those shells and they lived. So for example, we can figure out how much CO2 was in the atmosphere. We can figure out how hot the ocean that they grew in was. 
we can figure out how big ice sheets were. So I kind of love that contrast that something that's so small and so often overlooked can actually tell you about the entire world and how it used to be. So my main focus with Foraminifera is I use them to understand how past warm climates, so when there was very high atmospheric CO2 and very high temperatures on Earth, I try and figure out how those how the world worked back then, how did organisms survive, how did they adapt, but also how did climate work, What, how wet was it, how big were the ice sheets, and what there was the link between those various components. Yeah, in the film we see lots of fantastic beasts, but um, over the, the millions of years there have been many fantastic beasts, and each of us here at the paleobiology research group. We study different groups of fossil fantastic beasts. So I'm studying animals like dinosaurs, like saber-toothed cats. Kirsty is looking at very tiny microfossils. Yeah, I actually think they missed a trick in the film. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of the organisms that we work on have amazing structures and functions. And you would to look at them, you would think that how could these things exist? Um, and I think that's one of the really nice things that comes out in the film, that, you know, it's feeding people's imagination. But it would be really nice to, downstairs in the museum, in the Lapworth Museum of Geology, we showcase a lot of um, historical or ancient organisms from vertebrates like Stefan works on uh, through to the microfossils so that people can actually see the real life versions of the fantastic beasts that we study here in Birmingham. And that's the, the very challenge for paleontologists. We, we only find the fossil hard tissue, so bones, teeth, mineralized shells. So we are missing a lot of information. But uh, with our research, we're trying to piece together the missing information and, and mm. reconstruct these animals and these organisms um, using different techniques. So I'm using a lot of computer simulations and engineering methods. Curse is using some kind uh, of chemistry methods. Mm. So there are different ways and means to to fill in this, these gaps in, in the information. Yeah. Um, so I think also we we think about figuring out how organisms used to live or where they lived, but actually they can tell us a lot more than that. They can tell us about the world that they lived in as well. And as Stefan mentioned, I can I work on um, often using the chemistry of the shells, and from that you can figure out all kinds of things to do with the temperature of the earth that they lived on, uh, where they, the CO2 in the atmosphere. And so there are really a lot of analogues between they can provide real insight into the world that we're moving into today in terms of CO2 is increasing in the atmosphere. We know that average global temperatures are increasing. And maybe if we can better understand how climate has changed in the past, how it's worked in past um, warm worlds, then it will provide insights into the future. But I think from your work, you would certainly say that evolution has something to offer in terms of understanding Yes, abs How? absolutely. So we're living on a, on a changing planet and we can see some of these changes in, in the time frame of years or months or in a lifetime. But obviously there has been 500 million years of evolution and the fossil record documents that quite well. We can see different transitions between animal groups, you can see the fossil remains and we can piece together how one species evolved into another or how different groups mm. came into existence or became extinct and that obviously has lots of ramifications for how we see the, the planet and uh, changes on the planet today. 
Mm. So, I mean, a lot of your work focuses on function, trying to understand how they worked. And I guess a lot of what I do is more kind of thinking about... I guess they both focus on adaptation, right? So how organisms work in their environment, whatever that might be. Yes, that's true. How can these organisms cope with changes? So in terms of looking at how dinosaurs became herbivorous, what does it take for a dinosaur, which is typically meat-eating, for that group to evolve a completely Mm. different diet? So that involves changes to the skull, to the teeth, and how can these animals adapt and and how can they change their function to cope with changes in Mm. their environment? So even though a lot of what I look at is a lot smaller and these a lot of the organisms I look at are single-celled organisms, actually they can show huge amounts of change through time. Um, but there, there are common features, I think. So things like when organisms become quite unhappy, they often become much smaller. Um, but not only that, so a lot of the research I've been doing recently is trying to understand perhaps um, some of the triggers that we might see before extinction or before a change happens. Um, I think about things like uh, coral bleaching, um, the photosymbionts are lost from corals, but actually a lot of these microfossils in life, they actually housed those brightly coloured photosymbionts and they subsequently lost them when they became um, stressed. And then over long timescales, that plays out as a contributing factor into extinction, which you might think, a tiny microplankton, who cares if they go extinct? Well, everyone should care because microplankton actually play a really critical role in terms of climate regulation. You look from the space station and you can often see on the satellite imagery huge blooms of certain types of organisms uh, called co- uh, coccolithophores. And, you know, they may be individually quite tiny, but as a horde, they can take up, you know, many, many miles of the ocean. And they play a really key role in things like carbon cycling, so uh, impacting the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. Yeah, I think that. That quite nicely highlights our different approaches to research. Um, obviously, with your microfossils, you have thousands, if not millions, of, of microfossils available for your research, and you can do quite a lot of things. Um, with my research, looking at large vertebrates, such large dinosaurs, obviously, we're lucky if we find one complete skeleton, <laughs> and we, we work on that skeleton because yeah. that's, that's the best we have. So our sample sizes are very different, um, but we both try to figure out different aspects of paleobiology with with very different approaches. Yeah, so I think that's one of the things I love about paleobiology in that your limit is sort of your imagination in terms of you can do quite uh, traditional paleobiology, thinking about descriptions of new species, whether they're tiny or they're massive, but you can also um, do very applied work so sort of the functional work that Stefan was talking about all the kind of more climate reconstruction that I talked about and one of the best things about our job is that we get to travel so like the films that I mentioned at the beginning that inspired me to kind of follow science um, you know we regularly spend vast amounts of time traveling the world I spent two months at sea last year um, in the southern and southwest Indian oceans on a research vessel we were trying to figure out the timing, but also how Australia and Antarctica separated around 120 million years ago and figure out the consequences of that separation because it led to essentially the kind of modern ocean current and climate system 
that we have today. Yeah, I agree that that traveling part of our job is is quite exciting. And uh, in the past, I've been to South Africa and Argentina looking for dinosaurs. You just had a team from Birmingham coming back from South Africa mm. last week, actually, and they have discovered potentially a, a large dinosaur, maybe unknown to science, <gasps> not, not sure yet. So that obviously requires more research. But um, yes, it's still a very active field. And um, I think that the nice thing about paleontology today is that it covers so many ranges mm. of research. So we still have the classic paleontologists going out into mm -hmm. the field looking for fossils. But then we have people like myself sitting in front of a computer trying to figure out how fossils functioned, mm. you in the lab looking mm. at the chemistry. So there's, there's quite a range of different methods, different yeah. approaches. And I think that that's what our research team here in Birmingham reflects quite well. We're all looking at different groups, different methods, applying different approaches. But overall, the, the question we want to answer is, is quite complementary and uh, leading up to, to the same overall picture. Yeah, so there are a lot, if you're interested in paleontology, there are lots of different ways to get involved from, you know, picking up your fossils on the beach through to visiting museums and seeing collections. And so we have the Lapworth Museum of Geology here in Birmingham. It's just downstairs and it showcases basically kind of evolution of life from 600 million years ago to sort of um, the evolution of mankind and you can take, get involved with lots of different activities down there, hands-on activities, lots of different displays. But also, um, we use it as a route to showcase the research that we're doing here in the department. So if you want to find out more, just come along. We also have the Lapworth Lates. They're amazing. <laughs> so they're, they're essentially um, evening events that are free to the public to attend, and they're a merge of science and arts and activities and just a chance for people to see something a bit unusual, get involved and just have a nice night out, basically. Yeah, of course, we, we try to disseminate our research findings to the public as well. We want to showcase our research to the public, not just for ourselves, although we both love doing our job. <laughs> to, we, say we want to share it with the public, what we find uh, as part of our research. And um, we're very lucky that we are linked here with the Lapworth Museum of Geology, where we can present our research with different temporary exhibitions with uh, different events like the Lapworth Lates, where we invite visitors to a mixture of science and art and just a, an evening event, basically. So we, we try to put our research out there and, and make it visible. So not just for ourselves, but showing the public what we're doing here, why we're doing that and, and what we're finding and, and why that is exciting. What have you got in there currently? You've just recently done something in there. Yes, I worked with, with an artist uh, recently. And uh, so trying to interpret my research via the medium of dance, which was... <laughs> Very interesting for my side because that's something I absolutely don't do. Um, so yes, that, that was was quite a new perspective, how you can transfer research into a new medium and try to use that medium then to showcase your research. Yeah, I have to say that having the Lapworth downstairs is one of the things that makes Birmingham really unique for me. That link to a museum, not just having access to the collections, but also to having access to the public to interact with the public um, particularly given that you know 
science, the way that I came into science is, is through kind of that public um, dissemination. So I'm involved with an exhibition that will be launching next May on how you can use tiny microfossils to reconstruct ancient worlds. Um, so come along and check it out. And at the moment, we have an exhibition on the how dinosaurs have been represented in films and books through time. So if you want to, yeah, learn a little more, come along. Thank you to Dr. Stefan Lautenschlager and Dr. Kirsty Edgar for that fantastic insight into your research. For more fantastic research and where to find it at the University of Birmingham, visit our website at www.birmingham.ac.uk forward slash fantastic research. <laughs>